Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common. Go head-to-head to see which one does it better on this episode. In the red corner, finding a new roommate can be hard. You don't want someone who murders your friends, attempts to steal your whole identity, or simply just uses your milk from the fridge. It can cause confrontations, as we see firsthand in 1992's Single White Female. In this city, on this street, in this apartment. Hi, are you Allison Jones? I'm Hedra Carlson. Hedra, that's unusual. Where the hell have you been? How do you lock the terror out? Don't let me come get you! When you already invited it in. While in the blue corner, finding a new nanny can be hard. You don't want someone who murders your friends, attempts to steal your whole family, or simply just uses their breast milk to feed your baby. It can cause confrontations, as we see firsthand in 1992's The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. The Bartels couldn't believe how fortunate they were to find Peyton. I adore children. This is Fartel. For me, it's it's the next best thing to actually being a mother. Something happens to my mommy. You take care of me. Of course I would. When your husband makes love to you, it's my face he sees. Get out of our house. Call the police. Claire, calm down. You don't know what she's capable of. So what connects these two films, and which one does it better? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken. Hello, Clash Butters. When your husband makes love to you, it's my face he sees. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Ronson. I'm Chris Silly. <laughs> and welcome. <laughs> welcome to this week's scoffle of the schemers. Uh, that's what we're going with. Uh, these were your choices <laughs> yeah. this week, Victoria. <laughs> yep. Um, reminders of the clue you gave last week for us to guess this. I have it if you don't. Uh, it was women can't live with them, can't look after your kids without them. Absolutely. And you followed that up on Twitter, Chris, with... The dot, dot, dot from hell. The dot, dot, dot from hell. So guess us on Twitter. If uh, you don't follow us on Twitter, do join us. We are at ClashPod. It's a fun place to come and hang out. So a lot of these suggestions came in initially after your clue. Victoria, uh, Paigey Rich went Nanny McPhee and Mary Poppins. Uh, Joel Trodden was like Signs and War of the Worlds, which sounds weird, but actually works because they're both missing mothers. Oh, uh, for most of the movie. Um, then Chris's uh, blank, blank, blank from hell kicks in. Uh, Russell uh, ignored it and went with Mrs. Doubtfire and three men uh, and a baby. Anthony M. Rose, uh, the hand that rocks the cradle. Versus when a stranger calls. Uh, Scott Ianson just went, IMDB reckons sorority bitches from hell. Who knows? It might actually be good. Um, we'll have to wait and see. It's been in pre-production since 2019. Your third clue then kicked in, Chris. What was that? Uh, 
The third and final clue was they invited the evil in, so they've only got themselves to blame, mm-hmm. which is loosely based on our single white female tagline. Right. Uh, well, it didn't really help. Uh, no. Although they invited the evil in, so they've only got themselves to blame. Paul Logue went with, I'm sticking with three men and a baby versus Big Daddy because I'm a parent. <laughs> <laughs> and Anthony Holden, no, Andrew Holden, sorry, went with Mamma Mia. So people had kind of lost faith in the system now. We do have a few close ones. Dylan Berry, Hand the Rocks the Crable versus The Orphan. Gemma Page, Hand the Rocks the Crable versus The Babysitter. Frank B, Hand the Rocks the Crable versus Parasite. Bottom line is, got a no-win week, guys. Yep. And I'm not, I'm not going to feel bad about that because these were good clues this week. Last week, LA Confidential, Chinatown, my clues... Terrible clues. We got one winner. This week, these were good clues. Mm. I think the key one is the dot, dot, dot from hell. This was a subgenre in the early 1990s. You had the husband from hell, uh, sleeping with the enemy, the little boy from hell, the good son, the cop from hell, unlawful entry, the tenant from hell, Pacific Heights. I've got a lot. The sports fan from hell, the fan. Mm. Um, there's a lot of them. And I think that was, that was where people should have figured it out. Mm. So just so I'm fully um, clear on what you're saying, you're blaming our listeners rather than taking any responsibility yourself. The landlord from hell, that was Sliver. <laughs> the hitchhiker from hell, that was the hitcher. The stepfather from hell, that was the stepfather. That's a yes. That is a, that's a yes then. All right, fair enough. Uh, no winner, but that doesn't matter because these were great choices, Victoria. Thanks. Um, shall we do the connections between these movies because there's a fair few? Mm, I've got mm. loads. Go. Um, both directed by men. Correct. <laughs> Which I think is going to become weirdly key to this yeah, as we talk about them. It's not usually an issue, but it is an issue. <laughs> but, yes. but, but, but both have very weak male characters as well. Yeah. Your male lead is, is a wet pants in both of these movies. Yeah. Uh, men using positions of power to abuse women. Uh, pervert Ned Ryerson in Single White Female and Doc Mott in The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. Oh. Oh, yeah, yep, correct. Uh, both films where uh, news broadcasts dish out completely <laughs> illegal information that they shouldn't be putting on the telly. Here's the victim. Okay. <laughs> Here's the address. <laughs> uh, movies that open with establishing shots of buildings. Hmm. It's a it's a connection. Oh, I went I went very niche. Okay, on we don't my have to do all the connections. Uh, movies where uh, trauma is used as entertainment. Sure. Um, okay, so you don't want to do all of them. Buildings that have laundry rooms in the basement. Yeah. Uh, references. Nobody yes. asks for references. That's the, on my list. The lack of due diligence gets a lot of people killed in these films. It's references offered as a sort of bluff because they're like, I can leave my references if you want. I dare you to check them, but no one does. Letters that never reach their intended recipient. That's yes. another one I've got. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Any more? I've got quite a few. So I'll tell you what, I'll just, t- I'll just take over from this section. Sinister gloves. So John Delancey takes his gloves off in order to sexually assault Annabella Sciorra. Sciorra. Um, and Jennifer Jason Lee puts her gloves on mm. to murder Bridget Fonda. And the gloves are very sinister. Uh, films where the good woman uses a juicer or a blender to make a drink. <laughs> <laughs> a good in inverted commas, obviously. Uh, when you're obsessed with someone, you steal their perfume. Mm. Um, but the real connection is, as Chris has said, it's the domestic from hell duo, the nanny and the flatmate, or traumatised women will fuck you up. And that's it. And it's, I certainly found that when I was doing my research that the, the taglines for both movies were interchangeable. Mm. Uh, Hand the Rocks the Cradle, the tagline was, behind a beautiful face, behind a dangerous smile, lies a rage that can't be stopped. That could apply to both films. And Single White Female, how do you lock the terror out when you already invited it in? Mm. Could apply to Hand That Rocks the Cradle. I feel that I open with, with my weakest connections. I do actually have some good ones. Uh, if, if I could just do two more. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is um, major plot developments happening through unlikely overheard conversations. Oh, man, I hate that. Either through an air vent mm. or a baby monitor. Mm-hmm. And finally, triplets and twins. Uh, I will admit this is kind of niche, but we have two twins playing the two twins at the start of Single White Female. Yep. They were in Kindergarten Cop as well. And Baby <gasps> Joe is the baby mm. in Hand That Rose the Cradle, played by triplets mm. in real life because of baby laws. Mm. That's it. Now. And also you have to monetize triplets. I think that's the, those are the rules. Really? Yeah, because otherwise, how are you going to afford everything? So you're on the you're at the top of the list <laughs> for babies in films because everyone feels sorry for you. <laughs> oh, like with a stroller with three seats outside studios, going look at them on your way in, studio execs. <laughs> yeah. Look we at could those just faces. Right around them, yeah. 
Uh, great then. Well, that's the connection section. So, Victoria, you gave me single white female. You gave Chris the hand that rocks the cradle. We do it chronologically. Hand that rocks the cradle came out in April 1992 in the UK. Single white female came out in November that year, which means you begin. Chris, take us on a journey. The hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. The gynecologist who loses the glove loses the job. The mother who doesn't check references hires the psycho. Anyone can have an accident. The breast that pumps the milk feeds the newborn. The kid who bullies the girl gets his fucking head ripped off. What goes around comes around. The handyman who steals the underwear loses the bike. The woman who fakes the asthma saves the day. And the film that copies Fatal Attraction makes approximately $140 million at the global box office not adjusted for inflation. (laughs) The hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. So, histories with this film. I'll, I'm going to kick off. Uh, when I talked about these dot, dot, dots from hell, for, in the early 90s, these were like our superhero movies. These are the films that I'd go and see at the cinema with my mates. And it sounds weird to look back now, but stuff like Pacific Heights and Sleeping With The Enemy and uh, Cape Fear and The Fan, these were the films we went to see because there was a lot to them. Like, you'd watch the film, they're filled with all these sort of moral quandaries and you'd come out and you'd have a good conversation about them. So I definitely saw this one at the cinema probably a year younger than I should have been. I think I was probably 14 and it was a 15. This is so funny because I've written down an explanation as to why I haven't seen either of the movies this week, which is the polar opposite of why you saw them because I checked and the movies that were coming out in 1992 that I went to see, which meant I didn't go and see interesting thrillers like these were the likes of Batman Returns. Saw that as well. Wayne's World. Saw that as well. Lawnmower Man. Yep, saw that as well. Passenger 57. <laughs> yep. Under Siege. Firewalk <laughs> With Me. Sneakers. Stay Tuned. Candyman. These were the movies that I was you going to see. You didn't see Candyman and you didn't see uh, one of the other ones you just said because you were 13. Right. But what I mean is they would have had the same release date on video so I wouldn't have even watched them on home video either because these were the movies that I'd rather be yep. watching than a thriller about a psychopathic woman. It just didn't have an appeal for me at 13. Vicky? I, don't, I can't remember. I've seen them both once, but not at the cinema. But no. I, have, I just, I don't remember. Do you think around that time though, with these video watches, yeah, yeah, I mean, they, these are video movies, aren't they? The thing that we talk about a lot is like playground stuff. So they, it, like rumours of certain scenes went round the playground mm. and that's why I watched them. And then I've never watched them since. And now I'm calling it a video film. This was number one for four weeks at the box office. Was it? That's a mega hit. Yeah. <laughs> but you've so you've both seen both these movies already. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yes. Yeah. It was a hell of a weekend for me watching these. <laughs> I had a brilliant time. I was excited for you when I knew you'd, you'd see neither of them. Yeah. But these were definitely films you watch once. You don't need to see this film again. No. But it was nice to revisit it sort of 25 years on. Right. So uh, should we talk a bit about the background to this one? Mm. Um, Amanda Silver is where we'll start. She wrote the script. This was her thesis script while she was at USC. Um, She said, I I thought for a while that Othello, with its Iago and Othello characters, would make a good thriller. My husband suggested using two women instead of two men. And as soon as he said that, I knew it was the perfect idea. The nanny was a device for me. I wanted to raise the question of how one gets so close to another person and trust them so much. See, I'm glad you said that because I think there's a different film hiding underneath this film that does that. But it isn't this um, because it's so obvious that the nanny is a device and you're, you're seeing this growing bond between these two women, kind of. But it isn't really there. It's lost in all the other stuff, which I'm sure we'll get to. Yeah. Um, but cool that she wrote it while she was at uni. Mm. Yeah. Um, is she- this the same Amanda Silver? Because I noticed that Rick Jaffer produced this. Is this Jaffer and Silver who went on to do Planet of the Apes? Yeah. Indeed. Wow. And the Relic. <laughs> And the relic, and um, <laughs> and they're working on the Avatar movies right now. So um, she was engaged to Rick Jaffa at the time, um, and he just started his career at the Will- as an agent at William Morris. And so because of that, producers were willing to read her script. Um, and then she said Curtis Hansen immediately fell in love with it, the director, and he developed the script with her. He, he she said he patiently worked with me. Um, and Rick, who was, she says he was co-writing by then. So although he hasn't got the credit, they are a writing partnership mm. uh, to make the script uh, much better. She said, I've always been interested in women who are other women's enemies. I've always thought women should have a sisterhood about them, but that doesn't happen. A lot of women have been up against women who they thought were their friends, but were actually giving them a hard time. Um, Is this I, true, Victoria? I speak for all women. Mm. Do I? 
I'm interested to know. I t- but only is the only female in the room. That that women are not always for other women. Yeah, because I'm guess I guess why I'm asking genuinely why I'm asking is because you have a, a, a way of seeing that firsthand that we do not because women do behave differently in front of men and yes. two men. So you are the eyes and ears on the ground for this uh, <laughs> ground. reconnaissance mission. <laughs> what goes on in those I, rooms that what, we're not invited into? <laughs> I recognise what she's saying completely. My reasons for thinking why that exists may differ, diverge from hers, but I, what she's saying is true, as, as I understand it, as I, as I experience it. Yeah, and there was certainly some controversy uh, when it came out. Susan uh, Faludi, who wrote a best-selling book, she's a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist, but the book was called Backlash, The Undeclared War Against uh, American Women. I'm sure you've, you've read that, Alex. Loved it. Um, she's, oh no, I'll get onto that later, actually, because it spoils a bit of the film. But I will quote her when we talk about the changes. Um, apologies for that. But um, Amanda herself said, some people say the film is sexist, uh, that I was saying women should stay home and not hire nannies, which is really the last thing I would want to say. I just, I know that I shouldn't laugh. But people's <laughs> reasons for hiring nannies are different, but I think building a greenhouse is not <laughs> <laughs> It's the way that is introduced, like by her husband. Yeah. It's, it's, he's sort of so, on. He's so... Over her stupid ideas, <laughs> he literally goes. So I'm guessing you want to build your own greenhouse, <laughs> and she's like, "Yaha!" And he's like, "Here we go." But you, I mean, you've had a fair few babies. Yes. Um, is that the first thing a woman wants to do after having a baby? <laughs> is build a greenhouse? <laughs> it, it did take me by surprise because it really like... seems like the logical step. The way this film presents it, you yeah. have the baby, you build the greenhouse, you build the greenhouse, and then you just find yourself again, and or you don't even get out. Like she's like, I'll be around. It's like if you're going to be around, why don't you just look after the baby? <laughs> it was sort of a happy coincidence, though. Tell me if you found out that there was a, a steel frame, you just needed to buy the glass. There was a steel frame. They were just giving away this steel frame to a greenhouse. How could I pass that up? <laughs> It's a great offer. Get a nanny. <laughs> uh, and the only other other bit of background I've got is uh, Rebecca De Mornay's casting. She was originally offered the role of the good wife, but she said she wasn't interested. Uh, and she's quoted as saying, but the script was hypnotic. I kept thinking about it. I was disturbed by it, haunted by it. I kept thinking about the Peyton part. She was so chillingly deranged, a brilliant manipulator, one of the most three-dimensional villains I'd ever read. And for that reason, she took that role. Mm-hmm. Should we talk about the film? Let's do it. So we kick off in uh, Seattle, uh, a nice family in a nice house on a beautiful tree-lined street. Michael Bartel is a genetic engineer uh, and he's in the bathroom singing with his daughter, uh, Pirates of Penzance, are they singing? Yeah. A bit unbearable. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, how scared were you already, though? Because uh, for a film that opens with a man wearing black shoes and white socks, <laughs> I imagine that terrified you, Victoria. And also, yeah, the use of musicals. Uh, mm. It's a second... Uh, black mark against his name. <laughs> but uh, mum Claire Bartel, uh, played by Annabelle Shiora, is uh, downstairs making breakfast. She works at the botanical gardens, as we've established. Uh, and they're supposed to, it's, it's this vision of the perfect happy family. But then mum gets scared by a man at the window. Sorry, we should clarify. Mum gets scared by a black man at the window. Well, that's because... what I had written down. I just hadn't said it out loud yet. <laughs> I was building up to it. But do we think? She's like, ah! But if that man had been white... She would have had the same reaction. Is that on purpose? Is I think it it's on the purpose. Script? I think like, they were playing with stereotypes. Yeah. I definitely do. But yeah. it's never. Is it ever addressed that she, 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 you know, she could apologise for her vast overreaction, but she doesn't. I don't think. I mean, I don't know. I, I, he is li- literally. If you turned around in your kitchen, black, white, anything, and there was a man leering through the glass at you and your family, I think you'd be scared. Yeah, he's right up against the glass. It's not like she saw him in the garden and was like, "What's what's going on?" He's black. <laughs> she literally is like he's pressed up against the window, staring at her. I think you'd get a fright. Yes, uh, but it's really just Solomon uh, from the Better Day Society, who we're told uh, provide the mentally disabled with employment, and he's there to build the fence. So we do. Yeah, we need to talk about his um, his neurodiversity. Why is he written <laughs> as that? Because. Why, so why is he neurodiverse? Why is he not neurotypical? And is that because it's projections of further innocence and naivety? Or are we to believe that Rebecca de Mornay slash Payton couldn't dominate uh, a neurotypical person? The second one. Definitely. Yeah? I, I, well, because... Because I think she definitely could. I don't know that she could. I, I, I think... 
I think the fact is that she knows that he would struggle to uh, coherently argue okay. the case for how those pants ended up in his cart. Yeah. I th- and I didn't, I wondered, I think I'm being mean, but is it to show, to throw into relief how fucking great Claire is because she gives this guy a chance? And that irritated me. But I may be being I, sensitive. I, I do wonder if it, you know, because he immediately clocks, I mean, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but he immediately clocks who Peyton is and where she's coming from. Yeah. And I do wonder if it plays into sometimes that sort of trope you sometimes have in films with people with learning disabilities having like a sixth sense yep. or almost like a superpower, yeah. which I found a bit uncomfortable. Um <laughs> But, um, yeah, I mean, that innocence uh, against her evil, basically, yeah. you know, it's it's pretty black and white what's going on there. So I just loved seeing Ernie Hudson in this role. I've never seen Ernie Hudson play a character I like know. this. I was like, fucking hell, Ernie Hudson. <laughs> I think he's great. He's very good in this film. Really good. Um, but uh, our next scene features Claire visiting her gynecologist, oh, um, Dr. Victor Mott, played by Q from Star Trek. <laughs> it's so, it's so <laughs> Why are you laughing, Vicky? This scene is not funny. It's not funny. It, I'm squeezing my legs together. It's just unbearable. <laughs> Why don't we start with a breast exam? They never, ever say in those rooms. <laughs> they may, they, the first thing they do is mention her asthma. Um, and then, yeah, he goes in for the breast exam. Well, first, he manages to get rid of the nurse on some spurious reason yeah. to do something extraneous. Proper. Yeah, but yeah. she does give, I think, even though she's a bit nurse ratchet, she gives him a look like, really? Yeah. You want do me? I have to? That's <laughs> not really what I normally do, but okay. <laughs> yeah. You're and, the doctor. And then while talking about the fact that he loves taking walks after a rainstorm, he molests her. What? Mm. Um, it's and brilliant. We have yeah. to get back to something you said last week, Vicky. We have some pretty incredible face acting here from Annabella Shiora. Yeah, that that the sort of shock and the horror and the doubt, uh, what's happening and the nerves, and then sort of this sort of sick realization of what is really going on, and yes. it is very disturbing. But can I also bring up at this point, um, this assault is backstory because that's going to bring uh, Peyton into it, but. Why do we see the assault? So do we see the assault so we know that Victor is a bad one, right? For definite. And that it's not in Claire's mind, imagination or whatever. Okay, fine. But then there's an argument that the whole film could be based on a misunderstanding because is Peyton aware of her husband's crimes or not, right? Mm -hmm. So there could potentially be a scene where Claire says to Peyton, oh, you do realise your husband did this to me? She's like, oh my God, I'm not, I'm sorry, but that reframes her own experience and her own trauma. The obvious thing to do with this is to give Claire mental trauma, not fucking asthma, right? First of all, she doesn't use an inhaler properly. Her mouth no, is open. She, she uses it like she's lobbing it. a tic-tac into her mouth. She goes, oh, like that. That's not how you do it. But second of all, asthma, it doesn't mean anything. And she's had this horrible experience. And so when things really kick off and she gets stressed, she could have a mental break because of the trigger of the assault leading into all sorts of fun ways in which Peyton can play on that because she knew what her husband was doing and she was um, maybe not complicit, but aware of it. And then you can have lots of accusations of Claire not being a fit mother because she's mentally unwell. Mm. But why has she got asthma? It just annoyed me. So in this situation, you're Peyton... Amanda Silver is Claire and Rick Jaffa is her husband because you've just usurped Amanda Silver in front of Rick Jaffa. Um, here's what Curtis Hansen had to say about it. I, think he said, I have dreams like that. Go on. He said, What attracted me to this film is that it's a very different battleground from any other suspense movie. It's a female battleground, the house, the baby, the breastfeeding. The scene in the gynecologist's office, every woman I've been involved with has related to me that feeling of helplessness, irritation, sometimes anger when they're dealing with their gynecologist. Yeah, I've never seen those feelings in a movie. Mm. So he felt like it was important to include this scene. Uh, but I agree with you. The asthma is just a simple uh, thriller dramatic advice to, to give scenes to make our protagonist sweat yeah she sweats a lot when she's having an asthma attack um <laughs> while misusing the inhaler it's well that's why she's sweating because she's misusing she's not the using it properly if she <laughs> yeah. just used it properly she'd be absolutely fine but i think you made the point at the start which is quite clearly you need to be as the audience you need to be a hundred percent certain that this isn't in Claire's head for everything yeah. that happens afterwards to and make they, sense. Yeah, and they, they hammer it home. So Matt McCoy, her husband, what's her husband's name in this? Ma- Michael. Yes, sorry, Michael. He does, they have that scene, which is a little bit jarring, a husband saying to his wife, are you sure? Because it's like, stop asking, dude, but fine. But it's not really for them. It's not really for their relationship. It's for the audience. It's like, okay, this definitely did happen. 
And he hammers that home by going, okay, fine, I believe you make the complaint. There's no doubt. Yeah. It sort of removes what would have been a, a, a plot device, a shadow throughout the whole film of like, well, is it true? What happened? Is it true? And yeah. it, it makes it very black and white. It turns Peyton immediately into the villain. If she knows about it. But do you think Which she does? she does because she saw it on the news. Yeah, but she might not believe it. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, but I we see. we do we we do know that four more women um come forward. Yeah, and uh, Doctor Mott shoots himself. Uh, Peyton, played by Rebecca De Mornay, who is his wife, um, her she finds out her assets their assets have been frozen by the state. She can stay in his house till she has her baby because she's pregnant. But then she has to move out. Then she loses the baby, and all this happens in the first fifteen minutes. Mm. Yeah. They pack a lot in. It's so rough. It's really <laughs> her having. I've always hit light for, for a first time watch, Alex. Were you like, wow, where is. Yeah, I can. The, the whole. Uh, All bets are off here. The, uh, the rubber glove coming off in the doctor's yeah. office. Uh, I checked the time and I was like, this is 12 minutes in. This film is not fucking around. We're already there. But then the intercutting of her miscarriage in a hospital with Claire playing, pregnant, lying on a chaise long, playing with her own kids is really, really hard. And, yeah. and, and, and that scene when she loses the baby, I think that is very powerfully shot as well. In that, that sort of, I think they give a sense of the helplessness that she feels with the daughter's sort of, the doctor's talking over her and not to her. Mm-hmm. It's like she's not even in the room. Um, yeah, that, that loss of agency that she's feeling there and that, that grief and, and sort of no one's there for her. It's, yeah, she's by herself. It is so, so, so brutal. Just And then as well, when you've just sort of like taken a breath from that and then the nurse is like, and of course we had to take her womb. And it's like, fuck's yeah. sake, like anything oh, else? I missed that. Yeah, yeah they yeah, have oh, to yeah. give her a hysterectomy. Yeah. So she loses her baby. She loses her husband, her house, her baby and all chances at her own, at birth in her own future children. Oh, yeah, it sucks, right? Yeah. <laughs> Big day. Yeah, bad day. So we cut to six months later and... um. Mum wants to build her greenhouse. <laughs> um, uh, she's taken on too much. She needs a nanny. She's not been happy with the women who have applied. And then Peyton Flanders um, appears by stopping a bus. Right. <laughs> so how bad have the interviews with the other nannies been that when she interviews Peyton and goes, so what made you want oh to become God. a nanny? And her answer is, I lost my husband and my baby on the same day. That's a red flag. Yeah, bye. Surely that is a red flag. I mean, what, what, did the other nannies come in and just shit in the kitchen? Because why? Why are you not going? I'm gonna. It's gonna that's be. It's gonna weirdly, be a hard that, pass from me. That's the deleted scenes. <laughs> that's what I'm saying about. I think I was. I was gonna give. Obviously, give the script the benefit of the doubt, and maybe in the script, Claire is like, "Oh, okay, I can see this woman is suffering." Because really, as a as a new mother, and this is very personal. There is no, you cannot bear any more sadness, any more emotion or or anything. It's, it's cruel and it's selfish, but it's completely true. It's like I have enough to give for what is in front of me and I cannot take on a stranger's pain right now. So to tell the truth of that situation, mm. oh, that's my bit. You'd be like, I'm so sorry. Get the fuck out of my house. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm a bitch. I'm sorry. I'm awful. And I'll be better in a year. But right now, no motherfucking way. And she doesn't. And so maybe in the script, it was like, okay, this is the start of these two women growing together and Claire like offering what small morsel of like connection she's got left. But it doesn't look like that on the screen. It's just like, why is Claire not shown at the door? Right. Which I think adds to the fact that throughout this movie, and I think Rebecca DeMornay is great, but she is a psychopath (laughs) from the get go. At no point do you see her and go... Oh, look at her. I'd I'd invite her into my home. She's this steely-eyed fucking evil woman. It's all in the eyes with her, isn't it? Yeah. It's all in the eyes. But you wouldn't. You'd just go, no, no. Nope. Get out. Um, Obviously, that is the question that kind of hangs over this film is is how easy it is for this nanny to get hired without any references and what have you. Amanda Silver says, some people said it made no sense that a nanny would be trusted the way she was. I'm not sure. You tend to overlook some of the details in your life. 100% There are are a lot of women in this country who are trying to work and have children at the same time. This film, I think, speaks to a lot of women's fears and not just about the person watching your children. After all, you get on a plane and you don't know who's flying it. You get in a taxi cab and you don't know who's driving. There are so many places in your life that you're trusting strangers. And the most trenchant example is bringing someone into your home to care for your children. So great interview, Amanda. We're going to do something called media training. So if, if, if you just come in this room, we're going to talk through 
The way to answer that question. <laughs> These in the are future. all interviews, by the way, from the time. These are all 1992 <laughs> quotes. And to be honest, when you've just had a baby, you're fucking you're mad as 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 you like. And the chances are, before you got on the plane, you're like, can you just have a quick word with the person flying it? Because you're fucking nuts. And you're like, I'm not actually going to put my baby on this plane until we've had a vetting process of some sort. Like you're so mad that you would do something like that. So the woman who looks after your children while you're off doing the important in quote marks work of building a greenhouse. <laughs> I just why was there not a chance for Peyton to be even more duplicitous and just to faked an identity or faked her references, which is so maybe petty, but it just covers off mm. any of that niggly doubts throughout the rest of the film that like she's so manipulative and focused that she's gone to the trouble of forging documents, not just going, I can mm. provide you with references. Not just walked out in front of a bus. <laughs> I like the fact that she's so evil that the bus had to stop. <laughs> I genuinely like that. Um, so, yeah, her plan is to win over the family one by one while at the same time uh, plotting against them. Um, interestingly, Amanda Silver got um, pregnant while she was writing this script. Um, and rewrote it. <laughs> she wrote it numerous times while she was pregnant. She said, essentially turning De Mornay character into a more complex and ambivalent figure at the request of Curtis Hansen. Curtis felt she was too campy and wanted her more realistic. We brought her down to someone more like you and me, someone not as overtly crazy as what? I had her in the beginning. <laughs> in, the, in the beginning, she was sort of over the top Curtis toned her down to make her more subtle to the audience more palatable and I think more terrifying I just think when Amanda Silver and Rick Jaffa hired a nanny did they chuckle to themselves they're like you are going to check the references though because like, I know we said we wouldn't but we definitely are uh, they didn't hire a nanny uh, they didn't have a nanny at the time but because of the success of this film and how busy Amanda got, she had to hire a nanny because of the Hand that Rocks the Cradle. So it's really funny. It's uh, a real problem, though. The problem is that because she is, to you and I watching it, such a, a, an evil psychopath from the get-go, when you're watching it, it makes Claire stupid. Yeah. Throughout this movie, mm -hmm. you just think, you're a fucking idiot. Throughout the film. And that spoils it for me. Nice person. Nice but, person. but to anyone else, you're going... Come on, seriously, look at her. Look at the state of her. Yeah. Look at what she's doing. Well, we're so, going to get on to her best friend played by Julianne Moore because she clocks it straight Oh, away. man, yeah. she's going to bust this thing wide open. She's got her finger on the pulse. No one says, fucking A, like <laughs> Julianne Moore. But the person who figures it out first, as we've established, is Solomon. Solomon meets Peyton when she's being um, shown around the house. That look. That look yeah, that she gives him that's amazing. when he gets paint on the cuff of her shirt is an incredible look. Well, also, I think it's interesting. There's lots of green in this movie. There's the greenhouse, there's the gardens. The families wear a lot of green clothes, apart from Peyton, who wears blue and grey for the duration of the movie, which kind of brings out her eyes and that icy cold stare that Rebecca de Mornay has. Um, but she starts turning the house blue when she's in the house. If you watch, when she decorates, it's all blue stuff. So it's like her stuff is invading. But what's no interesting about that scene is the paint that Solomon gets on her is green. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah, that's a nice. So touch. it's kind of symbolic that, yeah. that that she 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 knows he's onto him as well into onto her, um, but. Yeah, we are. I think you know what I've got. The next section is called "Shit Peyton Does," but let's take a break <laughs> first. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash acast. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. And we're back with Shit Peyton Does. I made kind of a list for the rest of this podcast. There's about 17 nasty things she does. Let's work our way through them. Are we going to start small? Because Yeah, well, we're going to go in chronological order. Right. We'll start with planting an earring in the cot. Yeah. That was really clever. Really good. Yeah. She clocks at the earrings loose, she spots it again, and then she pretends it was in the cot with the baby. It was never in the cot with the baby, no, but and she and makes the, it the seem baby was like... Gonna, it was in his mouth. Yep. Yep. That's even worse. But then Matt McCoy, um, Michael... He doesn't bollock Claire the way you think he's going to. Because Claire has said, oh, he's always telling me about that earring. I need to get it fixed. And they just say, oh, thanks, Peyton. Thanks so much. But you'd think there was a scene where he's like, I fucking told you about that earring. You nearly killed our baby. And the weird thing is, the accident is entirely plausible. Like, she could have leant mm. over the cot and that earring that keeps falling out could have fallen into the cot. Yeah. Peyton hasn't created a situation that is difficult to believe that they've just gone along with. Start small. So really, Claire yeah. is at fault. Fix the fucking earring. Yes. Mm. It could have ended that's up true. in the yeah. baby's mouth. Yeah, that's true. She then she then commits maybe her worst crime, uh, which is buying the family wind chimes. <laughs> uh, my upstairs neighbour has wind chimes and they are the devil. And also, and Amanda Silver now knows this, no one puts a wind chime in a fucking baby's room unless they prefer 10 minutes sleep to 12 minutes sleep. Are you mad? They are sealed <laughs> with no external noises whatsoever. <laughs> Uh, she picks up a pillow, uh, making us think that maybe she's going to smother the baby for a second. Uh, no, she's not. She's going to breastfeed someone else's baby. Yeah, it is. I, I mean, I, I don't have as many thoughts about this as you might expect, but it's good to see on screen. It's not something you see very often. No, it was one of those gasp moments in the cinema as well, where yeah. you're like, "Wow!" It's such this, this film goes places. Yeah, this film yeah. goes places that other films are frightened to. I think. I think they accepted. Uh, the wider society accepted norm is there's like stories that go around like you know when you first have a baby you're in all these like parent group things and it's like cuddly memes to make you feel better about how uh, everything is um, and there was one story that went round about uh, a baby that was rescued from some situation and the parent was nowhere to be seen and it was like a, a building collapse or something and the paramedic on scene was a breastfeeding mother and she breastfed the baby because the baby was hungry and everyone's like oh that's amazing like the power that we've got to be able to do this and I, that did stick with me at the time I was like yeah I get that but that's because that's an emergency and it's like it's sort of fine in an emergency it's not fine if it's to nurture and to love because those are the boundaries Nasty stuff. Um, she pulls it back a bit. The next bad thing she does is she lets Emma, uh, their other daughter, watch horror movies. Uh, but she uses that as a way to gain her trust. And she finds out that Michael, the dad, uh, used to date the best friend played by Julianne Moore, who um, now has two of the best quotes in the movie. Uh, this was the famous one from the trailer that you heard uh, countless times. Never let an attractive woman take a power position on your podcast. I, I, mean, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, in your home, in your home. In your home, sorry. That was a, that was a Freudian slip. Um, I'm so flattered. Thanks. Well, no, Alex and I haven't. Um, uh, and then he giveth and he taketh away. My dick. <laughs> now I'm embarrassed. And then uh, the next thing she says, uh, a woman can feel like a failure if she doesn't bring home 50k a year and still have time for blowjobs and homemade lasagna. Yeah. And then the husband goes, she's not much of a cook. <laughs> it's very funny. It's very funny. That's to our husband. <laughs> Alex loves that, doesn't he? 
<laughs> I don't know why. Uh, uh, it tickled me. <laughs> but I like their relationship. Her and her husband have a relationship where he can make that joke. And also, he she seems totally fine with him yeah. ogling Peyton mm. in the house. He's like, mm. what's, Ev- what's going on with you? Everyone. Oh, I see what's going on with you. You're checking out the nanny. Yep. Come on, let's go for dinner. <laughs> Uh, every guy ogles uh, Peyton in this film. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, yeah. Even though, uh, not that you should ever um, ogle someone, but like, you know, it, I feel like they're, they're, they're putting a message out there that yeah. men are basically creeps. You were going to say, even though she's wearing a tracksuit, that's what you were going to say. Uh, no, you said that. I, would, I wouldn't say <laughs> I that. I do have that written down. I do have that written yeah, down. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I think, yeah, they're obviously trying to say something about men here. Um, uh, Peyton starts pretending the baby is hers at the park and when people comment on it she gets this distant far away look in her eyes it's face acting Vicky it's more face acting Um, so I have a question about this does that happen when you have a baby because it happens when I have a dog like I've had to start talking to strangers when you hear a dog walker in a park you end up engaging with strangers about dogs and no one prepared me for that and I find it very difficult so they said you Simon's got your eyes is that why you're like oh yeah I guess I mean like no Another, there are no. child's eyes. He's just <laughs> torn out, fucking monster. But no, do you do that with babies? Uh, people do. I'm not very friendly, which is the well, the core issue in mm. what you're describing. But people do talk to me, and I stutter and stammer and shit smoked all my salt all my way through it. The, co- the most common conversation is, "How old are they?" And it's just like, oh, they're yeah. at this age. <laughs> and- See, it's the same. Like, I thought I was being rude to friends when they were like you know, I've got a baby and I'm like, yeah, how is it? And they're like, oh, it's quite hard. I'm like, it's the same with Simon, my dog. Yeah. People don't like you comparing a no, dog to a baby. Ridiculous. But, no, they don't. But it, it's very similar. The first thing you talk to people about their dogs is, how old is it? It's weird, isn't it? Because mm. I've never under, it's like I'm missing, I've m- missed the memo of that shitty old phrase, but I don't get the comparator thing because the follow on is like, how do they sleep? How do they, whatever. <laughs> and it's like, it doesn't, I just don't see what difference it's going to make if mine is nine months and yours is six months. Mm. Like we aren't, going to be friends I think this speaks volumes about us because I'm the same yeah. I think a lot of people actually enjoy that camaraderie know, know, of like you have a baby I have a baby we actually have common ground like yeah. really easy to do common ground but common ground nonetheless and but and it's us we're at fault by going I, I don't I don't want to engage though nope. I choose not to but this isn't common how ground you, for how me how do you feel about strangers stroking your dog and if you don't mind it do you prefer that they ask permission first I'm fine with strangers stroking my dog. I'm fine with every everything that some dog owners are like, mm. oh, you really should ask. And all that stuff that they tell you at the start, like, you know, never stroke another person's dog. And like always like if someone goes to stroke your dog, mm. go, actually, no, you should really ask permission first. It's like, I don't give a fuck. Just okay. stroke away. Are you the same with your baby? Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, and that's why there's no difference between a dog and a baby. Uh, Payton finds out that uh, the other dog, whose name I can't remember, I don't care. She's um, called Emma. Emma, Emma. I've written it down, actually. Sorry, yeah. Uh, Emma's being bullied at school. The girl from Californication. Yes. Right. Uh, very good actress. Uh, she finds out uh, Emma's getting bullied at school. Um, she walks over to the kid and um, threatens to rip his fucking head off. At That's this the kind point, of parent I like. While right. practically breaking his arm. <laughs> so I wrote down at this point, turns out Peyton might actually be a better mum than Claire. <laughs> because Claire hasn't sorted that shit out and yeah. Peyton gets it done. Yep. Don't break his arm, but yes, yeah, shout mm-hmm. at him. You're, you're almost on her side in this moment, and there's a scene in uh, Single White Female where a similar thing happens, where our villain does something, and you're like, right on, yes. you know, you're sticking up for yep. for this family, these people that we like. Uh, and then we get the issue um, with the envelope that gets ripped up. There's a proposal that's been written. Claire offers to drop it off at Federal Express. Why does Claire bring a baby and a nanny on her errands. You, you've got a nanny for your baby, so you can do the errands on your own, but you bring the nanny and the baby. That's it defeats point. the object of it having does. a nanny. Yeah. Have, um, have we not skipped over uh, one of Peyton's evil deeds? I thought you were going through the list of Peyton's evil deeds. I am. You seem to have uh, skipped, to, uh, skipped over uh, puts perfume oil on a dress. Okay, yep, yep, yep. I thought that was pretty bad because... Claire uh, loves that dress. Uh, She actually says the line, I always feel completely sexy and glamorous when I wear this dress, which is the stupidest thing she says in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) I always feel completely sexy and glamorous. Uh, Although 
it's understandable because her second option dress is the most repulsive dress I've ever seen anyone I wear. I like that suit because he's like, are you really wearing that? And he's like, yeah, you look fucking terrible. It's like, the worst. The red dress is gorgeous. That Whatever that is. Shouldn't, he, support, shouldn't he have been supportive no matter what she But he bought her that dress. I think that's what you'll forget. So he expects his woman to wear it. Mm. I think that's fair enough. And also that should, you don't go from that red dress. That is not your second best dress. And if it is, there is a huge gap between your best dress and the next dress. And you're going out with Julianne Moore who's wearing like a skirt and nothing else and looks incredible you can't sit next to her in that sofa cover Mm. Um, (laughs) (laughs) so awful so uh, Peyton we see uh, smashing up a bathroom with a toilet brush yeah I love that yeah just her rage I like that Mm. yeah it's great it's the bit where the wood cracks from the outside and you see how hard she's hitting it it's really good Mm -hmm. Um, and then uh, she makes Solomon cry she makes our man Solomon cry so poor Solomon he kind of looks in the window and she's getting changed and then she comes out and she says some pretty shocking things to him Mm. Um, are you R word he said she says did you like looking at me don't fuck with me, our word. My my version of the story will be better than yours. And he says, they're my friends. I won't let you hurt them. And he starts crying. Yeah, it's unbearable. Baby. And then um, <laughs> uh, Peyton um, says that Solomon has been inappropriate with Emma. And another op- an option, another opportunity for Claire to be a good mum, when she finds the knickers in Solomon's workbench. Well, uh, uh, Peyton has planted Sorry, yes. the underwear there. But obviously Claire thinks that her gardener has got her daughter's knickers in his workbench. Mm -hmm. She doesn't call the police. She calls the facility where he lives to come and take him away. And take his bike. And take his bike. But she doesn't call the police. It's like, um, I don't know. That's not such a... No, it was a, it was, they, they take his bike as in uh, they give him the bike. They let him keep the bike that they've bought him. They don't take the bike away from him. He leaves with them. And they take the bike with them. I, I think I don't it would have been. That's the point Vicky's making. No, I don't care about the bike. <laughs> I think it's important to know that they didn't. But like this, because I, I, I was. There's a bit where Michael is holding the bike on the sidewalk, and you're like, are they going to then not let him walk, go away with the gift that they've bought him as some kind of punishment? But they do. They let what him they take the bike do is away. Call the police. Why? It was a different time. Different time. Yeah, I suppose one strike, you can let it go. <laughs> just stay away it's from, only knickers. Just you know stay I mean? away from Solomon yeah. and he'll stay away from you now. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how we deal with that in this family. <laughs> um, and she sort of makes it look like uh, Michael is having an affair with Marlene, the, the Julianne Moore character. And Michael's such a wet lettuce, isn't he? He's yeah, so, he's I've written down, he's so dumb. He's, he's so nothing. weak. He's, he's an irrelevance. He has no bearing or influence <laughs> on this film or this plot. My problem is that I can never escape. You know, the first time you see an actor, and for me, like Matt McCoy is always going to be Mahoney's replacement yeah, in Paul Police Man, Academy Paul 5. Paul Man's Mahoney. Police Academy 5, Simon Manny Beach, he's Commandant Lassard's nephew, Nick Lassard, and you're like, you are no Steve Gutenberg. And it, it did make me think, what would this film be like if it was Gutenberg in that <laughs> role? <laughs> Who who is a quite a good actor? If, yeah. if, if you've seen the handful of dramatic films he's done, he is quite a good actor. But he has a bit more charisma than this guy, which I think might have helped. Although you know, I'm not saying they purposely cast a guy without charisma. Yeah. But I think it is important to this film that he is an irrelevance. Actually, this film it gets all tied up without him. You know, the, the husband. Oh, yeah, is not, yeah, he ends up on the floor. Your like husband's not going to save the legs. day. Yeah. It's, a, it, it's, it's up to Claire um, to sort herself Such out. Such a small fall to break your legs. As well. <laughs> We're getting there. We're getting break, there. I wouldn't, We've got, break, I wouldn't break my legs if I fell. <laughs> we've got, we've got the su- real man. <laughs> we've got the surprise party before that. Um, so Peyton has encouraged uh, Michael to organise a surprise party for his wife, <laughs> and then um, she's planted Malena's, um, Marlene's um, lighter in his pocket. So Claire arrives home wanting to kill him because he's having, she thinks he's having an affair. But and in the kitchen... Because she found the lighter. Before we get to the big reveal, it's like... It's, it's, I just don't understand why why you jump to that. This is why I think Claire comes across really badly in this film up until the end. Because it's like, there's no questions. There's no like, why does she... You know, there's but a, they, there's they, a I mis- mean, they have tried to set that up throughout the film in, the, in, the, in that Peyton's been putting these little ideas in her head. Yeah, about you. You know, your first love is always your your biggest love, and and the fact that he he only has smoke on him when he's with her, and then he's lying about the smoke, and so I feel like they are they have been laying the groundwork for her to come in the kitchen. I see what you mean. I just remember thinking, shut up, Claire. At that point, agreed, agreed. But she doesn't shut up. She shouts, "You've been fucking Marlene." <laughs> 
while all her family and friends are in the other room <laughs> waiting to say surprise. She still goes through. As if, as if you would, you'd be like, I'm just going to go out again. <laughs> um, and uh, so the next bad thing that Peyton does is booby trap the greenhouse. Yay! <laughs> and that green, uh, so Marlene figures out kind of what's going on using microfiche, which we always like a scene where someone looks at microfiche. Uh, the wind chimes were what the clue that gave it away. That's right, because there can only be one set of wind chimes that look like that. Uh, and that uh, Molly rushes round. She's sent out to the greenhouse and that greenhouse smashes uh, and kills her while Peyton watches while eating an apple. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, with this scene, I don't think the camera really caught it particularly well. You know, the, the glass kind of falls. It doesn't look like much glass. You don't see it hitting her. Um, you think she could have survived it the way it's yeah, shot. yeah. It's, it's not they, they didn't really capture it although I do like the fact that she's literally killed by a glass ceiling <laughs> I like the good? fact yeah, that's, that's I like it. the fact that Peyton doesn't just immediately assume she's dead the film does linger on Peyton watching the greenhouse because she's not even convinced that it would have killed her and you're waiting to see whether Julianne Moore stands up or anything happens and mm. it's only after enough time passes that she goes yeah, job done. <laughs> uh, next, we've got Peyton smiling while emptying Claire's asthma inhalers. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't, wouldn't do her any good anyway. She's not taking them correctly. <laughs> Don't waste your time. There's a bit where she spills ice on the kitchen floor at night and then Matt McCoy comes down and he's attracted to her. I mean, there's this whole thing about like he is or he isn't. Is he a good man or is he not a good man? Is he tempted by her or is he not tempted by her? Because that you're never really clear. Yeah. Like, whereas, uh, well, well, he doesn't, he doesn't do anything with her. That's the point. Which is weird. Cause I, I remember, I remember her successfully seducing him in yeah. my head. Maybe that's cause I wanted I it. I couldn't for him. believe he didn't sleep with her. <laughs> yeah. Like, really? Yeah. What's but, the point? Surprising though, I think that is that it actually defies expectations in this kind of film a little bit. Yeah. I think every other version of this film, and there have been a lot, the crush that there's there's millions of versions of this film. The bloke always does end up shagging the woman. Yeah, I am. Um, I want to admit something at this point. When I saw, and in fairness, I think the film does set it up a little bit like this. But when Peyton's opening the roof of the greenhouse, uh, we have a, a, an establishing shot, and it's quite a cold day. And I thought she was opening the greenhouse to just kill the plants. Like that was her next act of mm. evil. She was going to destroy yep. Claire's plants because Claire loved the greenhouse. There's different levels of evil. Right. Um, as I said earlier, she fills, she, she sort of becomes the woman of the household now. Uh, she fills the nursery up with blue. And um, this is when Claire starts figuring out what's going on. She finds Marlene note, Marlene's note that was never delivered. Um, she starts putting the pieces together. She goes, she goes and visits Peyton's old house. Uh, and we get a scene with an estate agent. Oh, fuck this guy. Who, fuck this guy. Who asks, That's a weird tie. Grow up. It's he, a breast pump. He asks if a breast pump is a toy. He doesn't ask. He declares. Oh, that's a weird time. <laughs> Idiot. It really annoyed me. Uh, it's not, it's for the audience, isn't it? In case someone's never seen a breast pump before, it's so that she mm. can go, that's how she kept the milk coming. <laughs> the milk up. <laughs> up. She kept the milk up. It's a weird thing about milk. It comes in, it goes up, it goes down. It's all sorts of strange language. <laughs> so uh, she's, she knows what's happening now. She comes back to the house and for the first time, Peyton's wearing red. Yes. She's wearing blood red, and um, Claire punches her in the face. Great, awesome. sending Thank her. God, and you know I can remember little moments. I'm having flashes of, of memory, and definitely there was a big cheer in the cinema when that punch goes in, and she flies across the room and in, onto a table. <laughs> um, uh, Peyton then says, "I'm going to get my baby." Oh no, don't say that, Peyton. <laughs> um, she smacks Michael in the face with a shovel, <laughs> which is equally um, sort of satisfying. And now he can't move; both his legs are broken, apparently. <laughs> um, but this is good because over a banister <laughs> literally less than six feet <laughs> uh, but this is good because Claire has to fix this now you know uh, Michael isn't going to isn't going to save the day and we get some really lovely very satisfying bits of dialogue um, Claire says you give me my baby or I'll smash your skull in um, sorry, no, that's Peyton says that. Claire says, this is my family, Peyton. Uh, Peyton smiles while watching her have an asthma attack. Oh, it's so evil. Um, and then that quote that, that, that Alex said at the start of the show, when your husband makes love to you, it's my face he sees. When your baby's hungry, it's my breast that feeds him. Whoa. Wow! Wow! <laughs> <laughs> uh, by this point, um, Solomon's shown up, he's helping out, but it's Claire ultimately who, having heard that, 
is done. Uh, <laughs> she she throws her out of the window. And what does she land on, Vicky? She lands on the fence that Solomon built. Yep, and it's a white picket fence. A white picket fence. fence. I thought you were going to say. Sorry, Alex, what does she land (laughs) on? It's a white picket fence. The dream that she wanted has killed her. It's so beautifully uh, symbolic. Um, She asked Solomon to take the baby downstairs, so she trusts Solomon now. That's Again, that's all wrong. She uses her baby as a peace offering. Have you learned nothing? (laughs) Solomon's clearly a good guy, but don't use your baby. It's like, okay, I can prove I trust you by doing this like keep hold of that baby. and then we don't even bother checking in with dad the film just ends <laughs> I didn't realise yeah, it ends with them walking down the stairs <laughs> done that, he's such an irrelevance to this whole movie um, so Amanda Silver um, based on the feedback she got from this film she said I, I, I simply had no idea how many buttons I was pushing when I wrote this especially among women I knew I was onto something but I never felt I would get the screams and applause people yell at the screen either people love this film or it really angers them Frankly, I tell my pregnant friends not to see it until they've had their babies. And hired a nanny. <laughs> and hired a nanny. Um, so the poster is very obviously inspired by Fatal Attraction, much <laughs> like the film. Um, they may as well have called it Fetal Attraction. Nice. Thank you. Uh, it was number one uh, for four weeks at the cinema in the States at the box office. Um, ABC is developing a remake of it for TV. At the moment, uh, that was just before uh, COVID hit, so I'm not mm. sure what's happening there, but we could see. Uh, but that's where these films tended to have gone, I think, is for TV channels like ABC. These um, from hell uh, thrillers are TV movies now rather than theatrical uh, releases. Which is a shame. Yeah, I agree, because it's fun to watch this film uh, with a crowd. Um, what else have I got? Yeah, uh, as you said, she uh, Amanda Silver went on to write the Apes trilogy and Avatar. Um, and the only thing I've got is it's our it's our second um, Ernie Hudson film that we've done on the podcast. Have we only done two? This in Congo? Yeah. Wow. No, we've done The Crow. That's three. Oh, three. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was just going to... Who else is in Congo, Alex? <laughs> <laughs> Don't do this. Well, he keeps forgetting. <laughs> but why are you enabling him? <laughs> Tim Curry. <laughs> And that concludes our obligatory Tim Curry reference this week. Should we do the bits? Let's yeah. do the bits. All right. Uh, Vicky, what's your favourite scene? Well, it's impaled on the fence, but I have only just understood the symbolism. With the white <laughs> For me, it was the the Ernie Hudson versus Rebecca De Mornay symbolism that I got because it's the fence that he built. But mm-hmm. it is the it's for me, it's the, the most fun bit. Uh, Alex? Uh uh, I hate to say it because it's disgusting, but it's um, Dr. Mott secretly removing that rubber glove <laughs> before a, examining Claire at the start. It's it's horrible. It's, yeah. I just, you know, when you think you, you've seen a lot in films and yet sometimes you see something that you haven't seen an equivalent of and it genuinely shocks you and it's new and it's like, Jesus Christ! Mm. And it's, it's he does it in such a smooth manoeuvre. Mm. Like it, it's it's like this guy's done this a lot. Yeah. Yep. Ugh. So that that shocked me enough to make it into my best scene. I mean, the scene that I remember from 1992 is when she threatens Solomon and says, "Don't fuck with me." Yeah. That was really really shocking uh, to watch at the time, and mm-hmm. I've no, I've never really forgotten that. It's it's kind of it's so over the top and sort of that point of no return for the film. But this time watching it, I love awkwardness. Um, and I didn't think anyone liked awkwardness as much as me until I met Alex. He enjoys awkwardness as well. So that scene with the surprise party when everyone's waiting for her (laughs) and she she shouts out about the affair, I I found it really enjoyable. It's just wallowing in this awkward, awkward family moment. So uh, I'm picking that. Um, MVW, most valuable whatever, Alex Zane. Rebecca de Mornay. I just think she's great. I mean, I don't think... uh... It's a weird one because, as I said at the start, I think she's so out-and-out psycho from the look on her face to the way she behaves to everything about her. I do think the character would have worked better if she had like this bubbly kind of fun exterior that was really charming and nice. And then there was the switch when she wasn't being watched and she became what she is on screen for the entire of this movie. And yet, despite that... She's still just such a magnetic presence, that face. And like you said, the eyes. So, yeah, she's my MVW. I'll, I'll jump in then because I've got her as well. And, and I feel I agree with you. It feels like the pain of losing her husband and child has, has almost blown a fuse in yeah. her brain. And, and it's like she's in a trance for the movie. And I think that's really effective. This trance brought on by grief. And you're right, maybe it would have been better if, if we'd seen her switching. But 
I think her brain's just gone. And so I, I completely <clears throat> bought it. And for better or worse, she had audiences screaming, kill the bitch at, <clears throat> at, at screenings of this film. And was her plan all along, was her plan to infiltrate this family and replace Claire? Or do you think at the start... She was just after a much simpler revenge. Like, she didn't know what she was going to do. She knew this woman had caused her husband to kill herself and inadvertently then caused her to have a miscarriage. So she blamed her. So she'd sought her out. But did she, at that point, have this long game of replacing Claire in the family? Or do you think she was just going to get into the house and then she didn't know what she was going to do, just maybe kill her? I think she wanted the baby. And I think her plan was to get the baby. But once she got in the house, she wanted the whole family. I don't know. What do you think, Vicky? I wish it was clearer. I, I wish she was even more conniving than she appears because when she's had the conversation with Michael in the kitchen, uh, when she's got all rained on, um, and she sa- he says to her, there's only one woman for me. And then later on, she says to Claire, he's with me, whatever, he's with me. He said he only needed one woman. And he's like, yeah, but not you. And she <laughs> looks like, oh, shit. And it's like, no, that's daft. Like, she should be playing him as much as everyone else. And she never wanted to adopt that family. She wanted to destroy that family. So she's so much, she's like, he's um, so far beneath her in terms of like <laughs> a man and a woman together. I think that she should have been playing him. She didn't ever want to sleep with him. She wanted him to mm. want to sleep with her. Do you know mm. what I mean? Which is uh, is an interesting point. Is she really clever? And she appears to be with a lot of what she's doing. But then like that moment where she doesn't understand that he meant Claire when yeah. he said, you've, it makes her just sort of nuts. Yeah, exactly. But like, are, are like Rather too, than too nuts yeah. to be able to have come up with everything, everything she's come up with previously. Yes. And finally, uh, what would you change, Vicky? Um, so she shouldn't lose her womb or have a hysterectomy, Rebecca de Mornay, at the start, and then she should sleep with Michael and then she should get pregnant. So about halfway through, she realises she's pregnant with his baby and then it throws her whole plan, whatever it is, into disarray and she can use it as leverage when Claire's going to kill her. She could be like, but I'm pregnant. And then you see what Claire will do in that situation faced with a very vulnerable woman or a woman who's in a situation she can understand but that's her husband's and da, da, da. and so you get to move some of the evil onto Claire which frankly she could do with because she's a bit mm, um, and I just think that would be fun and maybe Claire still throws her out of a fucking window and kills a baby whatever but it would be fun to see that's a really good change mm. Alex I may have gone one better I don't want to talk it up too much before I say it out loud but probably There is no police officer in the world who, when he opens a greenhouse door and finds (laughs) the body of a dead woman, says to his colleague, hey, you should come over here and take a look at this. (laughs) I I don't care how many murders you've seen, how many deaths you've seen. What would you say? When you discover a body, you don't sort of kick a door open, look at it, and then shout over to your mate. Probably take a look at this. He should. He should. <laughs> then he walks inside. It's obviously a crime scene. What are you doing? It's just way too low key and casual. Like he's just like, ah, you know, one of the what do we call them? Murders. <laughs> you know, one of those things has uh, happened. So uh, no, it'd be easier if you just come over here and see it. <laughs> I can't take, actually describe take it. Take a look yourself. Yep, told you. <laughs> Uh, I'd like to see the version of this film where uh, you keep Peyton's identity a secret for a while and we don't know who she is until later in the movie. Don't reveal the villain at the start. Yeah. You know, obviously that's how most of these films operate by not telling, you know, it's a twist halfway through. So I'd be interested to see that version. Um, Also, I mentioned um, the author Susan Faludi earlier um, who wrote The Undeclared War Against American Women in 1991, the year before this came out. Um, She wasn't happy with this film. What she wrote was, uh, this strikes me as interesting and upsetting Uh, What strikes me as interesting and upsetting is that the criminal here is the dead gynaecologist, but the wife's rage is directed at another woman who is just another victim. There's something sort of classic about women ripping each other down over a crime that was committed by a man. Women are either maniacs or morons. That's what's so frustrating about Hollywood's depiction of women. They're either compliant, beautiful wives and therefore the good woman, or you've got a seething monster, a witch who inserts herself in the family and tries to destroy the family. It seems like we only have one film a year where women are actually allowed to be buddies and go to the mat for each other. Um, she wrote that in 1992, and that was the year that Thelma and Louise came out, which mm-hmm. is the one film that year no, that women film. got <laughs> yeah. about sisterhood. Yeah. So Where we team up, yes. Yeah, so she makes an interesting point there, and maybe we should do Thelma and Louise at some point. That's a great idea. Right then, your quiz. Yes, yes. Interested I'm... to know what this is going to be about. <laughs> um, 
Uh, I'm I'm pulling for Vicky in this one. <laughs> this one's for you. Um, so really, that doesn't seem right if you're the quiz master to pull for one competitor. You'll see what I'm thinking. There's there's a reveal coming soon. Okay. Um, so. Um, uh, my introduction was based on the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world, that maxim slash proverb. So I'm going to give you guys a series of maxims slash proverbs. I'm going to start them off. I want you to finish them. Some <laughs> of these are quite easy, so it's going to be who gets in there first. Okay. So hold on. Let me do my, I normally have my scoring thing ready. Okay. Whoever's first. Okay. Hell hath no fury. Like a woman like scorned. <laughs> okay. Do you want to... Collect yourself, Vicky. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not mad yet. It's fine. A bird in the hand. It's worth two in the bush. In the bush. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Come on, come, Vicky. I know you can do this. I do speak quickly, so I've got ch- I've got a chance. Don't teach your grandma to suck eggs. Yeah, there she goes. I knew you'd get that one. <laughs> the female of the species. It's more deadly than the male. Ah. <laughs> uh, the road to hell. It's paved with good intentions. There we go. There we go. Uh, power corrupts. But virtue is a sin? <laughs> That's not it. That's not it. Power corrupts infinitely, indefinitely. Oh, it's close. In, in, incontrovertibly. You've not got this, Alex. Irretrievably. You've not got this. I want to see what happens. <laughs> Inwardly. No. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you're really close, You've but it's not it. Can I have half? No, no, you, 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 I mean, I'm saying you're close. Power corrupts infinitely. Indubitably. <laughs> uh, Fuck off, that's not true. I'll do a bit more of it. I'll do a bit more of it. Anyone can finish it. Power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. Yes, there you go. Yes, that's it. That's it. That's it. Absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. That's, that's right. Um, behind every great man. It's a great woman. great woman. That was Alex. Oh. I said lies, which is really wrong. <laughs> take care of the pennies. And the pounds will take care of themselves. Okay, we are for all and we're into the end game. There's three left. Uh, don't shut the stable door. After With the, the horse is bolted. bolted. Yeah. That's Vicky. Yeah, it is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> making myself laugh here. <laughs> Come on, Chris. A woman's place. Is, is in the home. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, oh, no. it is it is five all. Oh no! And we got one left. Okay. <laughs> we didn't start the fire. We didn't start the fire. It was always burning since the world was <laughs> Yeah, Vicky got it <laughs> by the thinker and philosopher William Joel. <laughs> Vicky. You've been on a bad run, so I'm glad to have you back in the in the victory fold. Thank you, Chris. Ooh, great stuff. Um, all right, that is the hand that rocks the cradle done. We are coming back on Thursday when I will be taking us through single white female. But uh, for a moment, let's look further ahead to next week. My choices next week. Here is your first clue. Chris will be following up with one of his own on Twitter. But for the moment, your clue for next week's pairing is this. Rich people are a different breed. Rich people are a different breed. There you go. That's your clue for next week's movies. In the meantime, uh, please do subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, or other. And if you have the time, rating and reviewing us on those platforms is really useful. And much appreciated. Back on Thursday with Single White Female. Bye-bye. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the Acast Creative Network. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.